This episode with Fabrizio Grossi is brought to you by Chatter 365, an awesome app for your iPhone or Android. You can download it on your phone. It has anti-trolling software, which means I can't harass you or say anything bad to you. It asks me to reward things. It picks it up with the uh, algorithm right away. Also with an anti, uh, sorry, not uh, actual translating part of it, which is really interesting. It, it, for you, Fabrizio, you speak Italian. You can talk to your family in Italy and they don't have to worry about translating into English. They'll just talk to you in Italian and it translates in between. Like on a, it's like almost automatic. What well, is automatic? Check them out, chatter365.com. How's it going, man? Excellent. Great. Thank you. How you doing? I'm doing great, dude. Uh, supersonic blues machine. How'd that happen? Whoa. <laughs> Straight to the point. Okay. Yeah. Um... I was uh, doing um, a song. I was writing and recording a song with Billy Gibbons. Uh, it was supposed to be a commercial for a, whiskey, a Texas whiskey brand. They wanted to use uh, a ZZ Top song. They couldn't clear it because too many authors and, you know, the song was already a remake. So Billy calls me and he wants to know if, uh, you know, we can work together on the thing. And of course, who's going to turn down Gibbons, you know? So, so yeah, come over. He came over. We prepared this stuff and everything. And by the end of the day, his manager calls and he says, you know, sorry, guys, I have a good news and bad news. Bad news is that, you know, the director was able, the agency was able to clear the song. So we don't need what you're working on now because they're going to be using that. Uh, however, label and all of that, they understand that you guys, you know, put in some work and all of it. So, you know, this one, you the guys can do whatever it is. No strings attached. Yeah, I heard and, once you guys, once you guys finished the song, they cleared the song. You guys were trying to get the, the rights to use, right? So. And then, then the band was born from that moment on. Uh, obviously, yeah, well, kind of like, uh, isn't Billy Gibbons. It's uh, he's sometimes in the picture, right? No, no, he's the one that is actually giving me the idea because, I, I, like I said, you know, we're done with the song. We're getting a call for the management, and I'm looking at Billy, and I'm like, "Dude, what we're going to be doing with this song, man?" Because I think it's it's just something here, and I don't want to just you know let's leave it like that because we're never going to place it to anybody else because that was a song that was written with for you uh and but also you know with us so it's kind of like uh and he says like uh well you you got one meaning one song write nine more and start a band so and when i'm not busy with my day job meaning it's easy top you know i'll join in too and i look at him and it's like are you serious and he's just like yeah i think absolutely Rich. let me make a call so i called kenny immediately kenny and i were working already for a few years uh, I hired him on a lot of productions that I did and we became friends. We were playing together with Steve Lukather's side band. And, um, and we wanted to continue to these kind of things like with guitar players and jam and all of that. And I asked him, hey, listen, I'm going to send you something. Listen to it. Tell me what you think. Um, I send the MP3 within a few minutes. He calls me back and says, man, that's freaking great. What is it? Uh, well, I wrote this thing with Billy and stuff. He suggests to do this, whatever. So it's like, how long are you guys going to be at the studio? I don't know. Um, we're, we're, I mean, the studio's here, but we're about to leave. wait, wait there. Within an half hour, he showed up with drums. We recorded the drums. We redid a few things with the guitar, recorded vocals, just did everything. And pretty much that was uh, what started Supersonic Blue. It's amazing at, at, at Kenny's age how excited he gets about music. Oh, um, no, but that's, I mean, it's, it's crazy yeah. because his passion's all there. Okay. And he, he just, was, I spoke to him earlier a couple of weeks ago. He said he had five songs to record for independent artists. He's really into that stuff and he has his own studio as well, right? It's next door. 
I mean, he's right next door. Now. I mean, he's not here now, but he's next door to mine. I mean, I got this room because of him, because I used to have my studio in Santa Clarita, where I live. I mean, which is not too far from here, but it's a different part of town. Uh, yeah, Kenny's like that. I mean, he's like, uh, I mean, he gets excited about music because that's what he likes. Uh, I mean, if it was just for work, he probably could be doing something that, you know, he could be making way more money than what he already makes. <laughs> But nothing. And after and after um, this thing with Billy, I was actually in the midst of mixing a record that I uh, was producing with um, co-producing with Warren Haynes, and um, something that had to do with Billy Cobham, some other guest, Robin Ford, and Joe Bonamass. And so, wow. you know, it was actually an interesting project. And um, I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm sending some, uh, you know, I'm mentioning something to. Uh, you know, Warren, that, hey, I just saw Gibbons, he says I and stuff. He says, oh, great. You know, I'm going to see him in a couple of days. They were doing, I don't know, if, I don't remember what was the occasion, but um, I remember that uh, <coughs> he said, I'm going to see him in a couple of days. And, you know, two weeks from now, we're going to be in Los Angeles then. So if you want to come for you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm coming to the show, right? So we put it together because I wanted to talk to you, I told him, but I'm not going to talk to you on the phone. You know, we'll talk in person. I'll just send you the mix. You just let let me know about the, the mixes that we're doing. So, <coughs> Government Mule plays at the Orpheum uh, Theater in downtown Los Angeles. Let's check him out. I call Warren. I get to the tour bus. Hey, what's going on? Everybody was there. You know, the other the usual crowd in Los Angeles, the guitar players and all of that. And um, and I was uh, telling Warren, Hey, listen, I'm working on this thing with Kenny and stuff. We end up. So, is that the thing that you get that you did with Gibbons? How the hell do you know? Well, Billy told me all about it. He says, you want to do a song with me? And I was just oh. like, yeah, well, that was the idea. Cool, let's do it, man. Get you send, do you have something? But yeah, I sent him an idea. We went back and forth. That's something that was developing with my co-writer, main co-writer, uh, Serge Simic is out of Belgrade. Um, and we already had kind of like a nucleus of something. And I sent him over. Uh, he called me back immediately. For, oh, man, that's just right up my alley and stuff. So since we couldn't record together because they were on tour and then he was going to stay for a couple of weeks, uh, you know, upstate New York where he lives. Um, we set up like something like this where I was in the studio with Kenny uh, in our place in, San in Santa Clarita and he was uh, at the carriage house in Connecticut at, uh, at the Hartford. And basically we ended up doing a session like this, like you and I are talking, he was playing something, well, prepared it to an engineer. And that was uh, Remedy. And that was the second song, actually the second single out of, uh, out of the record. And from then on, it was just crazy because, you know, back then I was producing, I was just trying to get, help uh, Lance Lopez to get uh, uh, a deal for, his, for himself. And, you know, he was recording with us, obviously Billy knew him. So he ended up in becoming, you know, the, the, the singer and guitar player. So, you know, things just developed very, very organically. And then obviously Eric Gales, who kind of like, I went out of touch for about... Uh, 13, 14 years, I worked with him in the early 2000 when I, I was producing some stuff for George Clinton and the P-Funk, and he was the guitar player. Um, I mean, for that special feature, and it was insane. So we kind of like reconnected, and then, you know, everybody else, Walter Trout, and, you know, all, all the good friends. And the idea was uh, to do something, not necessarily the record, but just to give us the excuse to go out and do what we were doing with Luke and the band called Goodfellas, which was like all 60s, 70s, 
uh, fusion and all of that, very jammy, very open, you know, no former, no, you know, structure with the, the lights and everything to the click and all of it, right? Well, we ended up in doing it in a more organic way, not fusion, but more like the core music. that we I call. think the best part about being a bass player that's in very, very much demand is that you get to collaborate with a lot of people. Um, that, that, that would keep things interesting for me. Uh, well, see, the thing is, uh, I kind of like, it's not that I give up bass playing, but uh, obviously that, that's my instrument and all of that, right? And I did plenty of stuff in my band in New York and out here, sessions and all that kind of stuff. But when I started to get more involved in production, kind of like I had to make a choice. I mean, am I keep pushing this or that? And also that was around the time when my daughter was born. And uh, to be honest with you, I had way too many friends of mine and colleagues that ended up in having destroyed marriages and, you know, issues with kids because, you know, musicians like, yeah, it could be cool, but it's also very hard and difficult. You know, something when you have to, when you're like on the road nine months out of the year, I mean, you I don't really, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of like the family becomes like a, an abstract concept and your kids don't even know who you are. So I said, you know what, I'm doing this thing with, you know, and I still play. it's not that I didn't play at all, yes. but you know, I would not go out for like four months at a time, four months at a time. So maybe you go out for a couple of weeks for a recording or maybe this, this kind of stuff. Right. But it was actually in 2010 when, um, so I ended up in meeting all these people that we we're talking about and becoming friends with them because of the production end. And then sometimes I was the bass player of the, produ the production. Sometimes I wasn't, but we kind of like develop a, you know, a different and relationship and a, and a friendship. Um, you know, it was actually in 2010 when, you know, we good fellas with Luke was supposed to do these shows in Europe. And, uh, you know, it's something was a connection that I was requested to put together. And Steve tells, tells me, Hey, listen, you know, we always work in the studio. We get together all the time. And sometimes we do stuff here locally. We never really go out and tour, do anything ourselves. I mean, thank you for bringing all these shows, you know, around and all of that. But why for once we, you come around with me and all of that, you know, I'm for sure. Well, it's not really like a long thing. So it doesn't really conflict with, you know, my original plan. So we ended up in, yeah, actually we went into Kenny's room, the snack next door. And we re jam on a few songs. We had about 10 titles. I never played 10 songs per night because the jams were so long that at the end of the day, it was like seven songs. songs. Wow. And uh, we kind of like really jammed for like a couple of hours just to decide beginnings and ends because then what happens in the middle, you know, it's what happens in the middles. And uh, we went out, we played and had such a blast. That made me kind of like brought back a lot of good stuff because I mean, I did not know, I didn't remember at least how much I missed that. And from that moment on, you know, with Kenny, uh, every single time that there was the opportunity then to play, to go out and stuff. And then obviously collaboration came back around. But again, my original thing was always be involved as a producer. And then, you know, when people find out you're a bass player, oh, so it's you playing that line on the songs that we put together. So, oh, wow, that's great. So we ended up in kind of like doing it like that, you know. Well, it's amazing because like listening back to the record, uh, Supersonic uh, Blues Machine, uh, the the rhythm section's like impeccable, right? The the bass tone is unreal. It punches through. Like I I mentioned to you before, it's exactly how I wanted to hear it. You know, it's it feels kind of heavy, but it's actually it's it's more it's simple bass, right? But it it just feels you can feel it in your heart, right? When yeah, that's what I when I want to listen to a record in my car, I want to feel it. I want to feel the the record, right? That's, that's always that's, that's always missing in a lot of music, right? Yeah. Um, especially on the rock stuff, you know, and. 
to be honest with you, I've always been a fan of that. Uh, my favorite music, I mean, even though I've, uh, I would say like more like a, a rock past, you know, uh, and, and everything. I mean, I always been attached to black music. Uh, that's always been what did it for me. I was actually, uh, we were doing a session yesterday with uh, Alex uh, Lissandoni, our keyboard player in Supersonic. Actually, we were tracking some piano and organ for the last song on the new, of the new record. And we were talking about a song because actually in this particular song, there is like a, a, a almost tropical piano rhythm that I was trying to get into. Why don't you do something like that and everything? And he was like, wow, you remember this passage? It sounds like that song from, uh, and he was singing this melody uh, actually whistling this melody. Fact, well, that's Mongo Jerry in the summertime. And he was like, yeah, remember that? Fact? You know what? Funny story. I had like one of those Geloso single player records, you know, when I was little. And my mom used to buy me like uh, fairy tales to listen to, you know, stories and stuff. But for some reason, I ended up instilling a single from her because, you know, sometimes she played record around the house. And I remember the color and I liked that. And I, I couldn't read, obviously, but you know, and I used to play this all the time. And that song was like actually in the summertime, Mango Jerry, followed by Satisfactions by the Rolling Stones and Oh Bloody Oh Bloody by the Beatles. So I'm, get, I'm getting to listen to, uh, to this kind of stuff. And that and James Brown and all the other Motown and stuff, which was actually something that I could listen to in Italy and no really rock thing or anything like that. That kind of music was actually playing on the radio. I mean, do the difference of what's, what's happening here. And I always liked the fact that from those records, the bass was the loudest freaking thing ever. I mean, there was something that moved, you know, the groove. I mean, even though, I mean, I played with a lot of rock artists and I produced a lot of rock records, even on the heavier world too. I always, you know, it never really did it for me if I had to just go, dun, 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 dun. not because of the simplicity of it. Well, a lot of those bass players, they play, they play their, their bass like uh, strung the other way, right? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm like a lot of those bass players from back in the day, they 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 use their bass. They string it like a right bass, uh, the left way, right? So they have like the the smaller gauge string on the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I you know to be honest with you, I don't know about that. The only thing that I know though, and talking to a lot of guys coming from that era, and actually the one that told me that which was actually was his story, uh, I had the opportunity to meet Larry Graham once, and he was. I was just telling how the hell did you come up with the, you know, the, and he was like, you know what? I was a church play and my whole family and all of that. And back then, sometimes, I mean, you wanted to, you know, play on the street or like a too small, you don't want to miss a gig. You maybe you have like a small function, maybe it's a birthday, whatever it is. And you cannot bring the whole band, especially you cannot bring drums. So sometimes yeah. there was like a, either like a stomp box or like a or cajon to kick or to sit on it do like this maybe you know that the singer or the guitar player were just hitting the, the cajon with a you know with the hand and the tambourine together just to get some sort of rhythm and the bass was actually carrying the whole movement which is like so i had to play like a bass player like playing the boom, boom, whatever it is and the drummer too so that's why the whole thing came up like that so what really drove me in that kind of music and even it's the same type of principle that i always apply whether i play more bluesy or r&b or soul even my own personal thing, solarized experiences, which more soul and groovy and funk that I always stand to go there, meaning the bass needs to move around. Alone the bass need already to kind of like get you going. If you if you're not going, I'm sorry. That, that it's not doing it. Again, not because I do not like simple. I don't play um, you know, from you to uh 
ridiculous. I mean, and I love that band and I love those grooves like innate drums and bass, like a doom, 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 doom. And the way they write it is insane. But that's, again, it's a, it's a way of growing too. I mean, what I'm, what I'm saying is like something that has a pulse. It's not just- Something that pulls you, right? Something that moves your head. Yeah, all those like super that kind of like I don't know, great, fantastic. I get, I, I understand that you've been practicing a lot. It's great, but it's not really cutting it for me, you know. Well, it's good that you have like your your own preference, right? I mean, like playing blues is a it's a very versatile genre because um, you, you know you have your different scales um, and uh, on the bass, and you can always use that if you're really familiar with them, which you, you are. Uh, obviously, I'm not even going to question that. Um, but, no, actually, I'm not. You know, oh, I'm you're a not. musician. I have no idea what you're talking about when you're talking about scales for blues and all of that. Uh, I mean, it's not that I don't it's have any idea, I do, but I'm probably, I mean, you can write a book about it and I can write like a sentence. So uh, it, it's not that. It's just that blues, actually, it's a very particular thing because a blues, just like rock and roll, and that's why they connect it. It's not a style of music, but it's a way of life. Uh, if you hang around those characters uh, and you feel the stories and you're part of those stories, you understand where that's going. And I'm talking about, you know, from the tens and the 2019, late tens, you know, and, and early twenties, Robert Johnson's and all of that. It was actually part of the black culture, still very attached to uh, church, uh, but also um, attached to some level to some jazz thing. So you get very, very simple blues, and then you get, you know, the, the, the summer times or the Monday, sto- uh, stormy Monday, which are like, whoa, you know, we're getting kind of like, you know, where the, the Coltrane and all those guys came out, yes. you know? So it, it's just a different thing. Uh, in regards of the blues, though, it's just like rock and roll. There needs to be something that is moving. And to me, at least, when we say blues, uh, I don't want to take uh, a credit for something that I'm really not, meaning a, a, a real blues player. I had this conversation with Billy Gibbons uh, often and Joe Louis Walker just the other day. Uh, a real blues guys, they're all gone, man. Or as Joe Louis will say, they gone, you know? I mean, Jolie Hooker was the last one. I mean, or maybe Buddy Guy actually is the last living one, Joe Louis himself, but Joe Louis is 72, so it's still kind of like third generation blue OGs, right? Buddy Guy still being generation two and not even one, you know, because then you had the old Robert Johnson, the old Elmer James, Jimmy, little Jimmy Reed and all that kind of stuff. Buddy was like the guy that was like taking lessons from this dude. I mean, meeting in person. So those guys were the real blues dude and they had a very, very specific sound that was either the Chicago blues and, and, which was basically the Delta one, you know, because majority of the, the Mississippi Delta worker, you know, migrated North or the more jazzy particular kind of like, uh, you know, the, from Louisiana that ended up in actually enriching the melodies of the Texas blues, which was actually more rocking and more like, you know, the shuffle and all the kind of stuff. So uh, you got these three different things, but originally what was there, it was more like mainly and mainly like the Delta approach and stuff. And that's how these guys were like, uh, they were the black country. That was the black country music. You know, that's exactly what it was. Cause the words, the message, the lyrics were more important. The plane, very heartfelt messages, right? everything was just like part of that service, you know? And for me or anyone that is like even 10 years older than me or 20 years older than me claims is like, Oh, I'm a blues man. No, you're not. You maybe paying tribute to the great of the blues. I mean, whatever we're doing is different. So 
everything that I do blues wise uh, or in the blues world, which for me covers also funk, R&B and uh, soul and all of that. It's kind of like my way or my take on what I learned by listening to all these dudes and playing with it and, and mixing as much as Larry Graham and John Paul Jones as, you know, as much as mixing, you know, uh, Ron Carter and Bootsy Collins. So it's not really the original thing. It's not really traditional. I kind of like fake my way through it. But to be honest with you, I do not listen to contemporary music, to contemporary blues that try to sound like original blues. Because, you know, the Elmer James, the Buddy Guy, the Jolly the original, Hunter, the, the Pioneers. You know, exactly. Uh, you know, Muddy Waters and Alan Wolf. They've been there. They did their thing already. And for us to try to do, that was like for real. That music was not only the music itself, the words. There was, I mean, that was before civil rights movement. I mean, we're still fighting now, 60 years later. Do you understand the way those people were brought up, their emotion, the way of dealing with things? I mean, if we only think that we can get close to that, I mean, we're already, you know, on the wrong train. However, you can learn from that, pay tribute to that, and just take it to the next level, you know? There's a, the comedian Joe Rogan, uh, he, made, he said something I was really, really cool in one of his last uh, uh, special. They were talking about um, if uh, Thomas Jefferson, not, uh, yeah, yeah, Thomas Jefferson will come back or uh, George Washington, right? They come back now, like time machine, whatever it is, and they see our, uh, at least, you know, the states, you know, our constitution or the Bill of Rights. They would, Joe was saying, they would go like, you guys haven't written any new shit. You haven't changed it at all, right? It was like 300 years ago. Yeah, but the, the Constitution, the power of this call, fuck that, I don't even know. What the hell are you talking about? We wrote it with a freaking candlelight, and that was the base 300 years ago. You guys got fucking flying cars right now. I mean, can you evolve? It's the same thing. So for me, try to do what B.B. King did 30 years ago, it's not a tribute. It's actually an insult because nobody can do it as good as B.B. However... I can learn from that, do my thing, and just trying to take it to the future. That's why the, also the, the name, Supersonic Space Blues Machine. You know, it's not more the cart. You know, it's okay. not the, the horse ride and all of that. You know, I, I always say, you know, don't repeat, innovate, right? Move forward and, and, and mm -hmm. figure out the next thing, right? Whatever that might be. So if someone were to want to contact you, Fabrizio, how do they get in contact with you? Call the FBI. <laughs> no, no, okay no it's uh they can everybody can go to my webpage uh www uh you know you can just email me from there or you know on my instagram fabrizio uh, rock and roll fab or my facebook rock and roll fab or on my twitter rock and roll fab and actually um that's for everything that has to do with me if you guys are interested in the band at supersonic blues Dot com or Instagram and Facebook. That's the supersonic blues machine. Uh, I wanted to mention something though. You're talking about now blues and all of that. Uh, and thank you for bringing up the thing of my contacts uh, on my page. Um, you will, you guys will notice something that says soul garage experience that actually it's something that I just started, you know, officially awesome started name, launching. It's my own project, uh, but it's not only my solo band, but actually carries that name is the name of my studio. Soul garage, uh, black, redone or accessorized but also of the com uh, the, the company uh, behind it which is actually a very creative uh, conglomerate of musicians uh, and uh, marketing people label people uh, we're kind of like offering uh, a, a label and marketing especially on uh, uh, the, the 
online service and just kind of like to take the whole thing to the next level. It's, I know it's a very, very kind of like hip hop type of approach, but I really like that. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of hip hop thing that I do like, uh, especially from the nineties. Uh, so I kind of like, uh, I like that idea of having everything in once and not necessarily having it considered as a business, but have it considered as like some of the many angle of the actual music entity that is giving the name, which is Soul Garage Experience. That's incredible, man. Lots of cool projects on the way. Uh, awesome collaborations that I've heard. Uh, you also collaborate with uh, Joe Bonamassa as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know what, man? You have a, a for a bass player to, to talk to another bass player, it's very refreshing. But I also uh, created this show about coffee. And uh, I want to ask you if I take you for coffee right now, what are you taking? Unfortunately, I haven't, I had to change my ways <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, I can still have uh, uh, espresso, uh, but, it espresso. Has but it has to be decaf. For me, I'm, you know, I've never been a brew, a brew coffee drinker for me. And now, I mean, if I, if that's, if that's my choice, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it. So I've always been an espresso guy. The difference is before I would go probably to like six or seven a day. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm going down to a double espresso, but decaf in the morning only. So that's all. Well, I appreciate it, Fabrizio. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks so much, George. Thank you guys.